humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 251, and I had a conversation with Vanessa Leck. She is the founder of Carolina Addiction and Anger Management. She's a clinical social worker and a clinical addiction specialist. So we have a conversation about her work and about anger, about passive aggressiveness, uh, and a few things in between. Uh, I found it quite interesting. I've done a, a lot of reading about anger and whether or not it's addictive and how it spreads and how, and she, her philosophy, she doesn't believe that it's addictive. Um, so it was really interesting to hear that take on it and to hear her thoughts on it. I put on the links page a ton of articles uh, about all different things re- around anger and the idea of anger and where it comes from and how to control it and whether or not it, uh, it, is addictive, meaning not not addictive like the way cocaine is addictive, but that it sort of, um, for some people, it triggers a response in the brain that is, it becomes so powerful that people start to crave that feeling. Um, there's an interesting Psychology Today article about it that I put on the links page. Anyway, I mean, there's so many philosophies about therapy and neuroscience, and we're only just scratching the surface, to be honest. Uh, I don't have any new shows to report watching. I'm back on my habit of watching house reruns, which I love, because I like to look up the medical things that have been diagnosed and read about them. I don't know, there's something about reading that stuff that that makes me feel uh, more in tune with the world. It's very weird. I don't know, it's a strange quirk habit I have. It's kind of like how I feel listening to murder podcasts and watching true crime. SNL just did a sketch about that this weekend, about women's obsession. And I have a theory. The reason why women, maybe more so than men, statistically are really into murder shows, mur- you know, true crime and murder podcasts, is it gives us a sense of, of safety. We learn stuff, firstly, about how bad guys do what they do <laughs> and can protect ourselves that much more. Um, and it gets us in the minds of people so we can pay attention to more red flags. At least that's my theory. Totally arbitrary theory, but the, I, I have a feeling it has something to do with feeling like the more of those kinds of shows we listen to and watch, the less likely it might happen to us. Who knows? I could be wrong, but I do love those kinds of shows. In other news, Hey Human Podcast can be found on the social media under Instagram and Facebook. My personal social media, Susan Ruthism, can be found Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can email me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. You can go to my other website, Susan Ruth, and find out more about me and my art and music and things and sign up for the mailing list. Uh, You can go to heyhumanpodcast.com to learn everything there is to know about this show in particular. The links page, as I mentioned, is full up of articles and books and ideas and things from every guest I have spent on the show. And also on the Hey Human podcast website, you will find the store where you can get Hey Human merch and uh, information about every guest that has ever been on the show. A lot of really cool conversations coming up. Uh, I was in a 
frenzy of having conversations and it's been delightful. Uh, and so there is a huge pile of people coming. Um, I mean, that would be true no matter what, but I've been, I, there's so many really fascinating conversations uh, to share with you, uh, including uh, Anna from uh, Recompose. They take you and turn you into a forest after you die, which is pretty cool and interesting. Uh, there's uh, Roberta. She is a anesthesiologist and is really interested in uh, how the mind heals. And so she's doing work in that arena now. Uh, there is Barbara, who lost her nose to melanoma and has a prosthetic. And she told her story. Um, there is uh, writers and playwrights and scientists, so many different interesting people coming. Uh, uh, Cameron Esposito, the comedian, is going to be on the show. Uh, I'm interviewing her actually Friday for an upcoming episode. So there's just so much going on. It's really exciting. Uh, oh, and I have news. I sold my first screenplay. So that's exciting. It was optioned this past week. And um, I don't have details to give yet. I'm very excited about that. Okay, uh, I think that's about it. We can get into the show. Thank you for listening and for spreading the word, telling your friends and family and everyone about the show. Please rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I know it takes a bit of time, you know, five minutes or whatever, but it's super helpful. It helps push it up in the algorithm of iTunes especially. And if you love the show, if you're finding yourself listening to a lot of episodes and things, please, please, please take the time to write a review. Uh, it really helps and I very much appreciate it. Okay, let's get into this. Stay safe, be well, be kind. Here we go. Vanessa Leck, welcome to Hey Human Podcast. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, you piqued my interest on LinkedIn. I saw you on LinkedIn and you had posted about an upcoming workshop about anger management. I thought, well, that's interesting. So I dug around and, and checked you out and I thought, oh, wow, she's got... She's got a lot of things that you do that I'm interested in. So before we get into the deep dive of that, let's start out with just you as a person. Where are you from and, and what did you study in school and, and what put you on the path to what you do now? So I have a lot of life experience, even though I'm not 100 years old yet, I feel like I am. Um, and so I grew up in Florida and I love that state. It's a great state. Um, and I'm... Anyways, so yeah, then I joined the military when I was 22 and I joined the army and then I ended up um, and I'd gone to college for a couple of years prior to that doing all the horrible general education courses. And this was like pre um, internet being as huge as it is now. I mean, it existed, but not like it does now. And, and the whole online course thing was like, you know, very taboo, you know, no one thought that was like a legitimate thing, you know, and so everyone had to be in person. And so there's so much flexibility now with, um, attending school. I'm so jealous of that because all my degrees were done when that wasn't the case. And so during the army and up in Washington state, and I was there for the better part of about four years. And that's where I got married to my spouse, who's 
also an active duty still um, in the military, in the army. And then that kind of took me to a place where I was basically very transient and kind of displaced after joining active duty. And I feel like that's the case for most people because you can end up basically being in a community that just is not a good fit for you at all, culturally or in a career and the spouse as well, or whoever the family is with that person potentially. And it's just very disruptive to people's lives. It really is. It has quite a long-term effect potentially anyways. And so I um, ended up in North Carolina and I lived and worked there off and on for a number of years. And that's where like my licenses and stuff currently are. And I work remotely like everyone else now, except I was doing it before it was cool before COVID-19. So I was like ahead of the track. I had the training pretty proud of that actually. And it's just coincidental how everything worked out. It's just really weird. Um, and then I traveled outside the state and, and am right now actually visiting my spouse, different state. And COVID's just kind of upended everything. It's very different. Um, things, plans that we had have changed and the world's just really different. And as far as how I got into this work, um, all of my degrees have something to do with healthcare or behavioral health care in some way, shape or form, basically. Um, looking back, I really wish I would have studied the law and I actually plan to go back to school and get some formalized education in, in the law in one way or another, because um, it's just so important to everyone's life, whether they realize they're not, whether you're a construction worker, healthcare worker, you know, chef, like it intersects with their entire life. And I didn't realize that until in more recent years. Um, but I ended up doing a lot of different type of mental health work to include working at a crisis mental health center. And it had high turnover, like most of the places I've worked. And there was um, some people doing work in substance abuse and anger management specifically, and specifically court ordered. And they quit and there was no one to cover for them at all. And no one wanted to do that work. They want to work with women and the kids. And so there I was, I just like literally fell right on into it. And I found that I really liked the work and I was, you know, dealing with judges quite a lot through the years with all this. And, um, and that was a positive experience that specifically, and I was in court every week um, because of the quarter work I was doing. And, you know, it just felt like a pretty natural fit basically for me. And I just, I just really enjoyed a lot of different things about it. And um, then I ended up opening up my own company after that and basically called it Carolina Addiction Anger Management just because it was like, well, what do I call like, you know, the work I do? And it's like, it just was really natural. It never occurred to me that, you know, a pandemic would occur and then the world would go spinning and then people would have a specific interest in this somehow. And that's exactly what's happened. When you were a <laughs> child growing up, was there... <laughs> Was there people around you that were uh, that had substance abuse or anger management issues? Do you think any or, or were you, did you have a really super happy kidhood? And yeah, so you know, as far as my childhood's concerned, and people around me, um, you know, I had a relative that was a nurse for their entire working career, and so I thought I was going to be a nurse for a lot of years, and that didn't happen, and I think that was for the best. Um, as far as substance abuse, you know, it's really everywhere. I mean, there is no no place rich or poor or highly educated or uneducated where substance abuse doesn't exist in some way shape or form in my experience um and so yeah that was around and stuff like that um you know maybe it influenced a little bit but i kind of just feel like it was more just circumstances you know what i mean it's just like just like what i described it just happened you know and i just happened to have that interest in it what made you um, decide to go into the army 
So I had multiple relatives through the years that had been in the military. You know, my own, own mother had been in the military, um, which is exceedingly rare. I now realize. Um, and at the time, you know, for me, it was pretty normal and natural. I didn't realize how rare it was to have as many relatives in the military, specifically even a mother that had been in the military until after I was well into my adult years. And then I kind of observed the rest of the world and realized, oh, this isn't like the norm, you know? And so to me, it was just an option, you know, just like any other career path, just like any other job. It was just an option. And it was just an option that I happened to consider. And, and that was it. Yeah. What is your official title now as, uh, in your work? So I have multiple credentials. Basically, I, have a, I call myself an owner clinician, basically, because I feel like that's pretty fitting. That's why I've put on paperwork a lot. But basically, I have a license as a clinical social worker, LCSW in the state of North Carolina currently. I have a license as a clinical addiction specialist associate in the state of North Carolina currently. The second one I just mentioned is an optional license, which basically I don't have to have, but I ended up picking up when I was doing all that substance abuse work I mentioned. <laughs> and um, I did it because I was working with a lot of higher intensity um, situations, which most people don't work with, I now realize. And at one point, I was doing 100% substance abuse specific work with very high intensity type situations. And so, you know, it gave me an opportunity to do some extra training, get some extra clinical consultation type thing, you know, um, and to learn more. And so that's, that's what I did. Um, don't know if I'll always keep it because, you know, all this stuff was, it's very expensive. It's very time consuming. Um, it took me years and years to get my first license. I just mentioned you know, I had a lawyer that's in my office building asking me <laughs> about this and was under the impression that you could get like one of these licenses really easily and like <laughs> not the ones I have. <laughs> so, what yeah. What does high intensity mean? What do you mean by that? Explain high intensity situation in regards to what you're doing. Right. So I don't take on those types of cases anymore because that I just wouldn't be appropriate for what I'm doing right now. But back when I worked in a mental health crisis center, you, know, you had people that were in and out of um, the hospital, a lot, you know, psychiatric ward, um, harm to self or others, you know, would be the criteria for that type of thing. And they'd be screened by multiple healthcare professionals, myself included, if they're, you know, someone I was working with at the time in order to be admitted. Um, and those are like involuntarily involuntary commitments type thing. And, you know, then I worked at a place um, and, you know, working with people that, you know, um, basically working with people you know different situations where I was working with people that were going in and out of detox because there's different levels of care so like someone that goes into detox you know that's some basically they're literally detoxing they're like getting all the stuff out of their system in a safe medically controlled environment um there's a place that i routinely referred people to for that they're pretty amazing to coordinate care with and you know then from there you could go into like an inpatient treatment program for substance abuse where you may be for varying lengths of time it widely varies depending on you know what your location is and what's offered there and in finances as well as a variable just depending some things are state funded a lot of things aren't um and there's it just it's there's a lot of variables there so basically higher intensity would be people that are um needing to be or going to be a high likelihood of going into a um, an inpatient setting of some kind and I worked with a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of countless people like that, you know what I mean, that were in and out of inpatient settings or maybe needed to be but refused to, to go, which in, in some cases you can refuse to go. And that's a whole nother conversation. Um, that's where the court ordered, I suppose, comes in. Well, no, the court ordered typically in my experience and it varies by state. And I've just been practicing in one state primarily, but 
basically that would be like someone that may have a domestic violence type situation and which is more broad than what most people think it could be a fight with a family member it could be you know it could be many things it, it it's not necessarily a lot what a lot of people think um and then they end up in the court system and then the courts basically in some situations will be i've seen commonly will be like okay we'll drop the charges and dismiss it if you do your court ordered anger management and whatever else they want them to do potentially and fulfill those requirements and so it's actually a really good deal potentially because you know the state where i'm visiting right now that i don't practice in um you know i was talking to a criminal defense lawyer that's in my building and they were saying that like they don't do that at all here you know nothing gets dismissed everything sticks and it's like whoa you know that's pretty intense because you know now people have criminal backgrounds that otherwise would have them or are going to jail when they otherwise could have avoided a six month or however long stint in jail you know i'm curious the thing that really interests me about all of this is the idea of anger in and of itself what do you what do you think of anger personally like where how do you wrap your head around it i'm sure all different kinds of anger exist but if you were to let's say uh personify anger how would you do it so the one thing i like to say about anger is it's a normal human emotion and most people get that mixed up with thinking when a lot of people and i hear this a lot lately right now especially since i did that anger answer presentation which is like just weird how all of that worked out <laughs> anyways um most people when they think anger they immediately especially these days they immediately jump to someone that's homicidal and wants to kill people or kill a person or someone that's like quote crazy hear that a lot you know or had you know to want to throw labels at people of these heavy mental health diagnoses one thing of anger and emotion does not necessarily have anything to do with the other i mean we're talking about totally polar opposite things here anger is a normal human emotion just like happiness just like joy just like sadness just like all the other fleeting emotions that we have and most people are going to feel angry at some point in their lifetime it doesn't mean that they're broken or they're damaged or they have a mental health diagnosis necessarily or that they're going to go you know bonkers and you know um you know kill someone you know and that's unfortunately these days especially people are really jumping to that i'm like wow well also, you know i think these days people are are very hot to jump all i mean you know what i mean right now it seems like anxious so high uh intensity that it's just one little thing and it teeters them over the edge and suddenly they're exploding you see it on social media a lot you know well the media though social media broadcast media the big news channels you know are um the bread and butter basically is to sensationalize things to show the most extreme of everything and that's not the norm um for every single person out there for the general population at all and so um but yeah, anger is just a normal human emotion. And the overwhelming majority of people, you know, that I work with these days and I agree to work with are just people, everyday people, you know, people that have um, work life stress issues, you know, relation. I mean, what I most commonly see are relationship issues, um, work life balance issues, um, you know, just the everyday struggles that all of us are likely to have at some point or most of us, you know what I mean? It's nothing like super extreme at all. Um, I'm not, I'm not agreeable to working with people that are in that super extreme realm because if you're in that super super extreme realm higher intensity like we're talking about i mean you need to be seen you know by 
um, a more intensive setting. You know, I'm working online with people, um, you know, and you people seen, for example, like the crisis clinic I used to work at, we had a prescriber on, well, multiple settings I worked at. We had prescriber or prescribers on staff on demand, basically. And we had a team of uh, clinicians, you know, working together and stuff. And so, and we had a hospital right down the road, literally right down the road. <laughs> so very indifferent, very different of what that could handle, you know what I mean? Um, and that's the kind of setting where, you know, some people need to be, but that's not the overwhelming majority of people. That's like a really small segment. And I swear working in those kinds of settings for a period of time, it kind of warps your mind about, you know, like when you see so much of that, it becomes your normal, even though that's not the, you know, the norm. When it comes to addiction, people that you work with, do you find that that addiction is really, that is the, the bandage? You know, every situation is unique and no, not necessarily. Um, not necessarily, you know, in the presentation I just did recently, you know, I did do a slide where I think I said, I called it substance use disorders and related matters. I had like a slide about that. Cause it basically, you know, the presentation you're referring to was kind of like a general overview of topical of, you know, anger, and potential causes or underlying causes. And so when you refer to substance use and substance use disorders, you know, there can be, there can, there's so many variables, but let's just say generally speaking, um, there can be a situation where someone's taking a substance or substances, okay, and that's altering their behavior. And one of the, you know, behavior outcomes is that they're more irritable and their moods changing and now they're feeling more angry and you know i kind of in a situation where i'm seeing that and when you know they're coming with me saying oh i'm angry i'm irritable and and then you find out you know oh there's an underlying substance use disorder and related matter you know that type of thing and so that can happen and then you know you can have situations you know where people are in denial like they don't want to deal with the underlying cause you know they want to kind of pretend like that doesn't exist and it's this other thing over here when it's like well you know if you treat a substance use disorder then you won't have these other problems you know what i mean um and what comes like diagnosing people for example with the dsm-5 diagnostic statistical manual mental disorders fifth edition you know even it says all throughout that book make sure that you know i'm paraphrasing or basically make sure that you are ruling out all these other factors <laughs> before you start diagnosing them with xyz whatever that may be whether you're talking about substance use disorder or just a mental health diagnosis of some kind because it can potentially be misleading you know i mean if someone's saying describing s some very generic symptoms we could immediately jump to oh it's this mental health disorder when the reality is it's this other issue that they're having in their relationship that's causing them to feel this way think this way act this way and once you address that you know the problem's resolved so i mean there's just a lot of different variables but no i mean just because someone's angry or something um doesn't mean that they're going to have a substance use disorder or just because they have a substance use disorder doesn't mean that they're going to be angry because different substances affect different people in different ways you know, some people may be super mellow <laughs> and really unmotivated <laughs> you, know, you know what i mean like yeah me me quite the opposite <laughs> do you find on average when you are involved that people are willing to acknowledge that they have anger issues or do you think it takes a bit to get them to see that i mean are people pretty self-aware in your work every situation is unique so i can't really put like a whole generality on a whole you know the general population um 
you know, people typically come to me when they're in a crisis situation of some kind. When I say crisis situation, I don't mean the most extreme thing that may come to people's minds. Okay. I just mean what's, what's a crisis for them, you know, a pivotal moment for them in a relationship in a work situation and a personal situation, whatever the case may be where they then reach out for help or feel like they need to get help. In some cases that's because they're court ordered, right? You know, that's going to be their, their crisis moment. Like, Oh my God, I'm going to get this done because I've got this paper and I'm going to, you know, whatever the consequences potentially. Um, and so there's a motivation there, now, whether or not the motivation is sustained and progress or changes made, I mean, that's totally subjective. You know, everybody's really different. Yeah. Um, it's very highly individualized. You know, some people are going to be really self-aware or come to terms with things really fast and other people just won't, you know, they'll just be like, screw you, you know, I'm out of here. So without, obviously you can't, I understand that absolutely you can't mm -hmm. talk about specific cases, but could you explain to the listeners how you go about approaching someone that does have anger issues? Like, like if I came to you and I said, oh my gosh, I have this thing and it seems to be getting the best of me. I fly off the handle. I don't know why I can't control it. How would you approach a situation like that? Well, a couple of different ways. I mean, for starters, you know, if somebody, can, if you or a person like you described came to me with something like that, I mean, that is very vague. And so I would immediately need to dig deeper. I'd be asking probably 50 questions, so to speak, to dig deeper to kind of see what's the, what's going on, just at a, even a surface level of what is going on. You know, why are they calling you? Why? Why? Like, what's the motivation here? And so that may happen in a phone call, initial phone call, um, or that couldn't have been an initial assessment potentially potentially if it's moved along that quickly and, and they've just booked an appointment, I haven't a chance to talk with them. Um, and then I would just, I would dig deep. You know, I have pre-screenings for people prior to them going into the initial clinical assessment that I require them to fill out in advance. And that gives me a heads up on some different things to include, you know, whether or not I should even be moving forward with them at all um, or referring them out type thing, potentially. Um, and so, all of my clinical, my pre-assessment has so many, it's just comprehensive. It's so many different questions, you know, it's all digital. And so that helps me screen right away, pre-screen. And then, you know, if I'm talking to them on phone or I'm doing the really in-depth initial clinical assessment, you know, I get to the bottom of what that unique situation is because it's going to be unique for each person. And then from there, a treatment plan basically a, or an action plan, as some may call, you know, is developed and move forward and learning what the situation is, learning what's really going on, because it's like an onion, you know, you're kind of just peeling back those layers, peeling them back, like you're not going to learn. I can learn enough typically to know within the first five minutes whether or not I should even be moving forward with this person at all. But then from there, it's going to take a number of sessions typically to try to peel back the onion to try to get to the bottom of what's going on or potentially longer, and, you know, and then, you know, trying to make some progress along the way with some basic things. Some of those may be relaxation exercises for the person, you know, in that unique situation, some of it may be um, psychoeducational material, which is basically educating the person about their situation. You know, if they um, have an anger issue or if they have mental health diagnosis of some kind, or if I suspect something else is going on, you know, providing that. And, you know, then there's like therapeutic approach essentially of basically helping people achieve their goals and function at a higher level in their life. What are some of the questions on that assessment? 
God, it's so long. Um, so many things. Um, a lot of it's like psychosocial stuff as well as substance use stuff. Those are just a couple of things come off top of my head as I'm thinking about it. Um, so, you know, are you married or are you in a relationship? Do you have kids? Do you, what's your family situation? You know, as far as mom, dad, um, you know, some pretty basic questions about that. Do you, do you use any substances? I really spelled that one out, boy. Especially because my, my work is substance, <laughs> substance abuse. I mean, I literally, <laughs> I just kind of laugh because I remember when designing the forms, you know, I was still, I was still working with 100% substance use. You know, people with that problem, that was our main problem. And so, like, I literally had, and I'm not going to say I have every drug known to mankind, because I'm, I, you know, that someone might abuse, but pretty comprehensive list there a checklist you know like do you do any of these things and then there's a box like and do you do anything that i didn't mention <laughs> and if so if you do any of these things you know how much frequency how long you know all these different things which will help me right away and that helps kind of you know the pre-assessment questionnaire which most i mean healthcare providers do have something like that in some way shape or form um just helps save a ton of time for both parties. You know what I mean? So yeah. you're not having to spend two hours trying to ask these questions. Sure. Instead, you're just working off of a good starting point. Do you think anger is addictive? And do you think anger is viral? No and no. I, I don't. And I just say that from my own just clinical perspective. I mean, that's not, those are words that we... I mean, I've never heard anyone ever even refer to, you know, being, you know, addicted to anger or anger being viral. I mean, it's like people saying addicted to drama or, you know, that they're yeah. so used to living in this angry space that it's, yeah. it, it feels more normal to them than not. And then viral, meaning mm -hmm. like they get caught up in other people's anger and then it elicits anger in themselves. That's what I mean by those two. So, you know, coping mechanisms are what come to my mind when you say that um that maybe somebody like what you're describing could be using anger as a coping mechanism or a drama like reality tv right as a coping mechanism to get their mind off of whatever something else um so that could become a, a maladaptive and unhealthy bad <laughs> i'm trying to simplify an unhealthy bad behavioral pattern that has been established for a person potentially as a coping mechanism which is basically a way that they have adapted to their unique life circumstance and to um to get through it essentially okay that's kind of what i when you describe that kind of what i think of essentially as far as anger being viral no uh however i would say with the description that you provided you know certainly if you're around this would be a great example actually so the news media you know if you are 24 hours a day seven days a week you know on that news media cycle or every time you're awake basically turning on the big new national news network and all the toxicity that's pumping out constantly about all the bad things that are happening in the world or that they're in a lot of times are being sensationalized you know constantly then it is likely that you're not going to be in the most positive spirits versus if you're able to tune that out and more you know like in my own world i focus on the news that is relevant to the work that i do in my little my world that's what i focus on it's very limited it's very specific i'm not getting caught up in everything else when something really big happens 
I'll know about it because everyone will tell me about it. Basically, I'll get to hear about it. And if it's particularly concerning, I'll look it up very quickly. And then I'm going to shut out of that within minutes and move on. Um, and so I would say that, you know, certainly when you're surrounding yourself with people or media or, or anything at all that is really intense or really negative or has a really specific intense intensity emotion to it then yeah that can actually have a ripple effect on someone's well-being and health and mood and emotions at that point in time and potentially long term if they keep doing it over and over and over again you know and you know for me for example i focus a lot because you know it is really hard 2020 was really hard you know i i'm a human being i've had my own plenty of life challenges trust me like i'm not over here living some you know perfect little life not by a long shot and so you know specifically 2020 kind of blew my mind you know especially around april may i was like wow this is a lot um <laughs> you know and so i've had to come up with my own new coping mechanisms and you know for me what works for me is i'm very goal-oriented um and so i really focus on the goals that i have set for myself and trying to really focus in on that and only focus on including things in my life that will help me stay focused and stay motivated and achieve those goals and stay in as healthy and a positive mental space as possible, which is challenging giving the world that we are all living in, which seems to be getting a lot heavier and more difficult to manage and deal with, even if you don't want to be a part of that negativity. What would you give advice to people listening who regular kind of anger, how to help themselves be in that space and, and get out of that space. And also, how would you advise people just everyday people to deal with their loved ones when they are being angry? Because I think that there is certainly a way to approach people that you don't, that you don't accelerate the situation. How would you advise people just everyday people? Yeah. So I wouldn't be willing to provide any specific medical advice of any of kind in this podcast. Um, right. This I'm going to do my disclaimer right now. This does not establish a clinical relationship with anyone. And I encourage anyone that has a pressing mental health concern to look for a licensed behavioral health clinician in their area to address their unique situation. So this, what I'm saying, what I've said in this podcast is not any type of advice whatsoever. It's just a conversation I'm having with a podcaster. That is it. Okay. So, and if there's emergency call 911, go to your local emergency emergency center. This is not for that at all. Now, as far as generally speaking, you know, I think I did a podcast a long time ago called Four Anger Management Tips. And I basically dealt with a lot of the, I'll say it, dumb things that people do, you know, and say around people that are irritated and in a bad mood and angry. Okay. You know, um, billing issues, for example. I mean, that will really piss someone off having to deal with some billing issues, people being told they owe money they don't owe or having been building correctly and stuff like that. And, you know, condescension is definitely a way to get people, you know, flared up anyone, I would imagine, you know, so don't be condescending people. Don't talk down to them. Like, you know, you're better than them or, you know, and a lot of people may not even be aware that they're doing it, but this happens a lot. You know, building situations is one that comes to my mind right away. Also, the one that makes me laugh in particular is telling someone that's angry and getting worked up, calm down. 
you need to calm down <laughs> calm down right now i mean it just i mean i think that will like have the opposite effect on people you know i've seen this a lot and when i receive it on like tv you know when people are in these diverse situations like real life situations and they're busy telling yell at someone to calm down it's just like it's just almost like the opposite of uh, effect on these people uh, on anyone it's just like don't tell me to calm down um and so i would say you know have some empathy have some compassion for other people imagine what it would be like in their shoes if you possibly could to be in the same situation have some compassion for people be kind to people you know um give this person some space you know you may be dealing with someone who does have a mental health disorder you know maybe they have some issues with feeling closed in feeling claustrophobic maybe they have some kind of anxiety thing going on and feel like things are kind of closing in on them so you know give person space some space don't get up on them in their space um potentially you know making a bad situation worse you know these are just some common things with you know a general situation not an emergency situation where you need to call the police okay and evacuate just you know generally working with other humans um in a compassionate empathetic kind of way which is lacking i'll tell you that much it's really lacking i feel like um yeah and you know and especially people in positions of power which mean people in positions of power may not even think they're in a position of power but you know if you work at you know a medical office for example and you are the biller or whatever you know the way you talk to people matters you know that is a position of power someone may feel very disempowered when you're barking at them and saying you know they owe whatever money or you know whatever the case may be so those are just some of the things i would say um and you know another thing too with when it comes to family members and relatives a thing i see commonly that's not helpful and i've already kind of tried to address in this podcast interview is not going around telling your your friends your family your spouse that they're crazy that they have the you know some i'm not even want to say all the labels that i hear constantly there's a few key labels that people love to say about their family their friends their spouse especially if they're in a high conflict divorce custody battle type situation you know this isn't helpful and just for stigmatizes mental health for people that do have those issues and most of the time when people are throwing around the you know heavy mental health labels it's not even accurate you know they're just trying to shame the person and that's really toxic and ugly and obviously not going to be it's counterproductive you know it's not gonna be helpful if the person does have a mental health problem you know telling them that they're crazy or giving them some you know label um and yelling at them isn't going to be helpful either but you you would be amazed this is very common very common and it's, it just builds in more of a sense of shame um for anyone that's struggling with anything even if it's just simple as emotion management and mm -hmm. life stress and what if I said to you, you know, what about me? I, maybe I flat the handle or I can feel myself bubbling up. How, what would you, I know this, again, it's not actual medical advice, but just suggestive of, of uh, on a, what's the word, uh, in theory, <laughs> what would you say to me? Yeah hypothetical theory yeah i mean it's really helpful for people in general you know even myself to be aware of my own emotions and how i'm feeling you know am i getting irritated am i tired um and then trying to get deeper of like what's causing that you know is it, is it something I watched? Is it something I was exposed to? Is it an annoying coworker? Is it a meeting I had that I found particularly upsetting? Am I having a technological issue, which a lot of people are having these days, that is really getting me just, you know, irritated? So just being aware of emotions 
that people that you're having, you know, that person's having, I try to do the same thing to myself, be aware. Um, I remember before COVID-19, what a time to live. Um, I remember I used to do a lot of hot yoga and I just loved it. And basically for those that don't know what hot yoga is, it's like yoga, but it's hot, really, really hot. And it's, and it's, 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 it, it, Hopefully, in my experience, 99% of the time, okay, maybe 95% of the time, it's at studios that have proper ventilation systems, and it's a very expensive thing that they have to invest in. Anyways, um, but I just found it really helpful to become more aware and in tune with myself. And there was relaxation exercises that were done at the end and a lot of different poses were very stress relieving. And I found that that was something really helpful for me. You know, I miss doing that quite a lot. Um, it'd be fantastic, but you know, I mean, I don't have access to that at all anymore. Um, even if I was an area that had it, I can pretty much guarantee you that it would be shut down or not what it was. So anyways, but yeah, trying to find what helps you helps a person become more aware of their emotions basically. Cause that's like step one of, you know, self-management, like becoming aware of what's going on and being able to manage that. And that can be really difficult for people, especially when the world is spinning really fast, especially if it's their world and they're working and they have family and they have full-time adult obligations, you know, it can be hard to slow down enough to even know how you're feeling. And especially if you're tired, I mean, if you're not getting, I mean, if you're not getting a sleep or a rest, I mean, gosh, that can really affect a person's, you know, mood. And diet. I actually had a convert. I think I brought this up on another episode, but we had our refrigerator broke down and the repairman came and I said, you must see a lot of interesting refrigerators and food and things. I said, do you learn a lot about people by what's in the refrigerator. And he said, yes, because the people who are more angry tend to have the worst diets. And I thought, well, that's interesting <laughs> because the brain needs nutrition, right? And mm -hmm. if, it's not, if it's not being hydrated and it's not being fed with healthy vitamin enriched foods, proteins and fats, it's going to operate at a, a, a subpar level and that can cause emotional outburst. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It comes from a nutritionist type perspective there. And, you know, most of America, sadly, um, I would, I have observed has a pretty, you know, a diet that definitely has a lot of room for improvement, you know, because, um, God, that's just a whole nother conversation. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, for it sure. It really is. I actually changed my diet over 10 years ago radically. I was always kind of leaning more towards a more of a plant-based thing. I'm not saying that's right for everybody or anything like that, but that was just kind of my tendencies. I think it was because I was exposed to it as a kid a little bit. And then, you know, I just read a lot of different books and things like that. Um, when I was still in the army, actually in my early 20s, and I just really changed my diet and um and it's been pretty transformed ever since and i'm not some there's so many crazy diets out there wild diets you know like just fad diets and it seems like you know i'm just so sick of the diets which is most of them where they're like basically saying there was actually someone making fun of it too but it's so true they're basically saying like if you have this diet, you won't have any acne. You'll be really sexy. Everyone will be want to be you. Everyone will be with you. You'll have a good career. You'll be, you know, it's like, it's like they, they try to fix these diets. They're going to solve everything known to mankind. If you're on this one really specific diet and all these diets feel very, almost like religions, like very cult, like, you know, 
Talk a little bit about, I know that you have a book uh, and you have a, uh, actually a handful of seminars coming up that I saw, at least on YouTube, I saw that they would be accessible in the coming weeks. So uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Periodically, I release basically videos that are recorded. They're not live. And those, I just do those basically the recorded ones on kind of topics that inspire me. I'm releasing two different ones. One's about to be recorded probably today or tomorrow about domestic violence. Um, it's going to be, Jesus, it's going to be like my third video I've released about that. Um, and I focus a lot on like domestic violence stereotypes. What is domestic violence? Who does that happen to? What is the safety plan? And just things that like a lot of people don't know about. I realize when I listen to people talk, so stuff like that, whatever inspires me at the time, a lot of it has to do with mental health topics because of, you know, my life experience and work experience and stuff. Um, and then also the book i have a couple on pre-order right now um one is called anger management it's basically a workbook um is what it is and it's what it's going to be and it's going to be released in ebook and then eventually um paperback as well most likely and then there's burnout self-care for behavioral health conditions that is in its third edition i've got to do some updates so basically like they're pretty much done i just have to like edit them one the anger management one has to be <laughs> reformatted which takes so long <laughs> you know because it's some workbook too it's like oh and there's graphics in it and just like really frustrating yeah but yeah so those are things that are keeping me really busy these days and you know a lot of people have the interest in the topic of anger management and Increasingly so, it really does amaze me. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised by that. The, the passive aggressive one that's coming up for you to tell people what it's really going to be on, aside from passive aggressiveness, maybe the uh, focal point mm -hmm. or. Yeah. So passive aggressive behavior is the focal point, but it's going to be basically about, because I'm going to shorten it last time. It was so long. Oh my gosh. It was like just over an hour. That one, this one's, I'm aiming for like 30 minutes. And so basically, it's going to be about passive aggressive behavior at work at home, like in personal relationships, um, and basically in potential underlying reasons for it and potential solutions for it. So it's gonna be pretty general. Um, I have an in-law who I just, you know, I wish I could have some video recordings of their behavior towards me through the years, because I tell you, I could have used it in this presentation, like no you other. Can do the, the whole <laughs> passive aggressive lecture in, in post-it notes, because the post-it notes, the, the symbol of passive aggressive <laughs> no in the video video if i could a video of this you'd just be amazed like like i had um because like one underlying cause is that they are not assertive communicators you know what i mean and so instead of just communicating what they need what they want what they think how they feel you know this passive aggressiveness just kind of oozes out of them if they don't like a person so i have an in-law doesn't clearly doesn't like me i mean it's kind of obvious you know and we had a thanksgiving for example i mean it's something i'll improve for the rest of my life and um the person basically i mean i'm paraphrasing but this is pretty close to what they said um called me a gold digger called me a gold digger and um it was so funny because i was so amazed for a few different reasons. And this isn't the only thing that they said it, because uh, I was like, where's the gold at? You know what I mean? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> for real? I was like, does somebody have some money I'm not aware of? Like, where did it go? <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta dig for it. It's a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was like so passive aggressive and I just disengaged. I got up and walked away and, we, and it was at Thanksgiving. We we're out at a restaurant. This is a public area, a very nice restaurant. And I was just like, I'm not going to turn into the Jerry Springer show. It's not going to happen. Like, it's not going to happen. If you can't no. be passive aggressive at Thanksgiving, when can you be? 
<laughs> it's so stereotypical too. That whole thing even was so like the stereotype. Could have been some kind of bad, like some commercial for something. I think you nail it though. Honestly, when my roommates moved in, we had that talk. It said that was like that's forego all post-it notes. And if there's something wrong with any of us, we just say, "Hey." But a lot of people have issues with using their voice and feeling, you know, putting themselves out there. It's a weird thing, you know, we all want to be liked. And so if we say to someone, hey, this isn't okay, it's this weird, our ego steps in and says, oh, you, you can't say that maybe because what if then it turns back on you? So people resort to the notes or, you know, hey, Steve, stop eating my yogurt, God damn it, you know, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's the work part, which I plan on spending some time on. I mean, it can go in a lot of different directions. I mean, there's so many different things, you know, resentment can cause it in relationships for unresolved issues and workplaces, you know, there's a whole a lot of workplace harassment problems let me tell you and across america i think it's just like an epidemic and you know if you have policies that are not being uniformly enforced and you have people that are forced to be around each other who hate each other who need to keep coming in for a paycheck to pay their bills um you know all these things contribute to it. it's just like not just like a silver bullet thing there's a lot of different contributing potentially factors and then there's potential solutions too. whether or not they're going to be achievable for everybody or is no well, that's something to be seen sure <laughs> now theoretically since we've been talking about grown-ups what about when kids have anger stuff is that that's, is that a whole new approach yeah so when it comes to children i actually avoid the topic of children altogether because i refuse to work with children um i work with adults 18 plus i have worked with children in the past um i worked for other people um did it pretty limited you know what i will say about kids in my experience you know when you have a person whether it's an adult or a child and a family um i've just seen a lot of families will they scapegoat somebody for all their problems whether it be a child or an adult and be like you know this kid or this, you know, person is a reason for all the problems in this family. And if you would just fix that person, then all the other problems will go away. And that has never been the case. Like most of the time, most of the time, like there's always an extreme exception. Okay. Right. But most of the time, um, it's typically a family problem. You know what I mean? And a family problem that needs to be addressed. And, um, and whether or not the family is willing to do that is a different story altogether certainly you know if you have people coming in saying you know insisting with that attitude that it's a, a singular problem then you know the likelihood that there'll be a openness to to address family issues is probably less likely you think so, the thing is being born angry i don't think so i mean there of course when you talk about health problems in general you know are people born with, you know, physical health problems? Absolutely. Are people born with certain cognitive health problems? Absolutely. Like those are things that do exist, but it's almost like saying, you know, are people born being excessively happy? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, I don't really think so. Um, now there are all our tendencies, you know, and uh, to be maybe more gregarious or maybe more introverted or whatever the case and then those tendencies can be brought out even more so in certain environments or certain life stressors being presented at a person you know what i mean um so very variable but i wouldn't say you know kind of reminds me of those horror movies those horror movies where like those kids are born they're like they look evil and they come out it's like the spawn yeah. of satan yeah you bet. <laughs> The omen. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think in real life. No, I, I really 
wouldn't agree with that. But keep in mind, I'm not a pediatric expert at all. I do not work with children actively yeah. currently, and, and I don't plan to ever. <laughs> how, might, how might people uh, find you? And if they have questions for you or maybe need help, how might they find you? I have a couple of different websites. I'll give you my a universal link for people to find me. But basically, um, for media stuff, hello, vanessamedia.com is a place you can find me. And that's a website that has like podcasts and videos and basically all the media type stuff. Um, and then my private practice website is carolinaaddictionanger.com. I'm licensed to work with people inside of North Carolina, North Carolina only. So a person has to be physically located in the state of North Carolina for that to even potentially be an option at all. Um, and of course, like I said, there's screening that has to be done and stuff like that. But yeah, those are the two websites I have and I'm on social media and you can find me on YouTube. Just type in Vanessa Leck. And I'll put links to all that on heyhumanpodcast.com. If by chance somebody listening is somewhere else and reaches out to you and says, hey, I'm not in your state, but could you recommend someone that can help in my state? Do you have those uh, references? No, I okay. don't. I don't want to do that at all because that that's that could become a dangerous situation. So no. Okay. Um, if you're having any kind of mental health concern whatsoever, make sure you find a licensed clinician in your area to assist you with your unique needs. Um, do not reach out to me if you're across state lines for something like that. Okay. Now, sometimes, you know, I come across just people in just it, it depends in different situations where I may, you know, be able, cause I do know clinicians in other States, you know what I mean? But it's like, I don't have a whole directory, a whole directory possible situation to include yeah. patient. Like, I, no, I'm not the yellow pages of the clinicians. There are places on Google, like I'll put links to, to places that do do that. So that if somebody does have something mm -hmm. that they need they'll be able to reference it through the through my website so i'll make sure that that's on there but you know it's a good question to ask because sometimes people do have that stuff and sometimes they don't um yeah but i have i know a number of clinicians across state lines and you know there have been times where i've referred people over there they've referred people over here to me if they you know if those kinds of opportunities present themselves but yeah that's yeah. the main thing i mean it's pretty easy to find um licensed clinicians in your area uh thanks to search engines and stuff like that you know not unless you're in an area like i'm currently visiting where it's like the middle of nowhere <laughs> Right. I get that. Vanessa, thank you. This has been really interesting. Uh, please let me know when your books are, when your the, no, the workbooks are coming out, because I'll put them, I'll add them to the links page after the fact, you know. May 4th, 2021 is when it's going to be released. It's on pre-order right now. Oh, oh great. I'll so put the pre-order. Okay, great. Yeah, anybody can pre-order that in the meantime. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for your time. This has been really interesting. No worries. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah. Have a good day. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye.